tremendous poise. I'm an absolute master. This is Sharon. Hello. <laughs> I was just telling Dick I've got friends on this block in the house right across the street. You know the Gibsons? The Gibsons, no. Hal and Eleanor Gibson. They're a fantastic couple. He's an interior decorator. Oh, really? That's sort of a hobby of mine. Oh. Uh-huh. The key to interior decorating is to avoid looking like you used a decorator. I've got to make one quick call. <laughs> Linda, are you wearing jasmine? Me? Well, let's see now, what are we drinking? I'll have a J&B on the rocks. I'll have a little Harvey's Bristol, please, please. I'll have the usual. Bourbon and uh, water. Oh, a bourbon man. I gotta cut down on my drinking. I'm beginning to put away a quarter day. Uh, I'm no longer at 4315997. I'm going to be at Mr. Fee. What time did that come in? Yeah. Sharon did a movie. Oh? Underground. Stag film? Underground. You know, very arty. 16 millimeter. <clears throat> yes, well, Alan is interested in cinema. Oh, really? What do you do? I'm a writer. Nothing much for film weekly. Uh, articles, essays. Criticism. Oh, this film I did got very good reviews. As a matter of fact, I got singled out. Of course, I was the only girl in it with nine men. <laughs> really? What's it called? Maybe I saw it. Gang Bang. You know, these films have the raunchiest titles. Really, it wasn't a bit sexy. You were all out of bourbon, so I made it straight water. Well, it's so humid out, I think it's going to rain. Maybe that's why I've got this headache. I get terrible sinus attacks. Haven't drained. That's why it's silly to go to the pier. Do you think you could turn the music down a little bit? Of course. What's the point of going to an outdoor restaurant if it's going to rain? You used to like to take me walking in the rain. I love the rain. It washes memories off the sidewalk of life. Alan is a trifle tense. He had a little misfortune with his wife. Dead. His wife? Well, his ex-wife. She's gone. She's dead. How old? Well, no, she's not really dead. No, no. Technically not dead, but we're not dating. Everybody and welcome to the Nightfly with me, Dave Juskow, your host. Final June 2019 edition. The importance of this podcast continues. That's why I use this voice. Hello, everyone. Hope everybody's having a lovely summer. What? Sure, it's June, but it's the summer. It's uh, next week will be July, July, and then it gets serious. Am I ready to perform in front of thousands of people? No, I'm not even close to being ready. The whole thing is a disaster. But we push through. I mean, it's like weird. It's like I'm like, uh, oh, crap, I got this horrible thing coming up, which technically anyone else would be like, wow, I got this awesome thing coming up. And I, of course, like Woody Allen, think the opposite. I mean, this is a great thing. I'm just not ready, ready. You know, I mean, I've been performing more and stuff, but I just really stink and uh, need more time and need to craft more stuff. I have uh, pretty much exactly a month left uh, before I have to get serious about doing this stand-up comedy thing, which I really believe after I get off stage every time is just not for me. And It is funny that I... Used to be good at any time when I get off stage. I just feel like an idiot, but 
I gotta fix my act. I mean, I keep coming up with new stuff and everything, but it's not, you know, it's not good. Anyway, why don't we uh, move on with today's uh, event? Uh, how's everybody doing today? I, it's a Sunday. I'm taping on a beautiful Sunday here, at least in New York City, and it has been a shitty, shitty week before it rained every single day. You almost have to say to yourself, I don't understand how the universe could possibly have any more rain left. I mean, I don't know where it comes from, and I don't know how it works, but I mean, Jesus Christ, it's really pathetic, but... Uh, that's all it keeps doing, but today's a beautiful day, and there's lots to do, and I can't tape tomorrow for other reasons that I don't feel like opening the show with, but I will tell you this, um, I'm feeling pretty good, feeling much better about life, I mean, you know, I still got a problem with life, I mean, that's why I keep playing all these Woody Allen clips, he's my hero, you know, his view on life I share, it's a horrible place to be, um, but on a beautiful day like this, it's a lot better to be around. You know, I'm looking out the window. It's it's nice out. The water looks gross, but um, it's uh, everybody's out and about and having a good time. And you know, it would be you know part of the experience. You know. Anyway, last night was the big uh, book reading Ben Orr event in Boston, which I did not attend. And I am so sorry because Dave Curry was nice enough to send me a bunch of photos. And I got to say, I guess you sent it to me on Friday night uh, when I was out. And I'll tell you all about my Friday later. But uh, he sent me a photo. First of all, Dave sent me this beautiful poster of the movie Turbo Charge, the Cars movie that I made. He sent me a beautiful poster that framed which was amazing because I'm lazy and I wouldn't do it. And that was the thank you very much. Uh, and I'm going to put it on my wall. And I now keep saying, he even got me a nail uh, to make sure that I did it. I'm just going to get one of the guys up here to do it because I shouldn't have a hammer in my hands ever. Uh, I'm just going to get one of the guys downstairs to do it. I think you can still give them 20 bucks. And they're not supposed to. I mean, see, this is the way, this is the way things used to work here. You can give somebody 20 bucks and they do shit. And nowadays, because it's so corporate, they're not allowed to even come upstairs anymore. But usually money takes care of that kind of stuff. I mean, I've, you know, the super will do it. Uh, but it used to be much easier to get people to do stuff. That, you know, nobody cared. There were no cameras. Why are you in the elevator? Why are you going up there? So, but anyway, I'm definitely going to put this up because it's going to make me happy on a daily basis to see a little movie poster with... Me and Memo's name and 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 the, the the picture of us and the cast. It looks like a like a real movie poster. It's very exciting. And thank you so much, and thank you so much for sending me the pictures of Orfest, as uh, everybody's calling it now, uh, in in Boston. And you guys all look great. And you're holding up the posters and wearing the shirts, and that was so amazing. And it made me feel so good. I I, I definitely almost had tears in my eyes. I was just, it made me so happy. I really appreciate your, appreciate your your friendship and your love of the movie, but your friendship as well. And uh, that's why I'm sorry I wasn't there this weekend. But and, and the weird part is, as Donna predicted, I did nothing on Saturday. I did nothing. This was last night. I did nothing. I had to because I was, you know, my age. If I had gone out another night, I, I'd probably be dead. Uh, I mean, I just can't. I mean, I can handle it, but I went out two nights in a row till seven in the morning, and you know, yipes. Um, so I was kind of glad to be not doing anything, but I still felt bad not being there with everybody, having a good time. Um, you know, just looked like a fun time. A lot of nice people. A lot of nice people. You know, I think that's what it comes down to. And sometimes that's all you want in a life. You know, you want to hang out with some nice people, have a good time, pleasant people. You know, I hang out with a lot of douchebags. I'm a douchebag sometimes. And like I say, you know, we don't need more than me. You know, so uh, it's nice to hang around with uh, the people you love. And unfortunately, speaking of the people we love, the uh, night the the Nightfly has has lost a, a wonderful member of its family in Uncle Frankie, which is cousin Frankie's father. 
Uh, if you've listened to this podcast, you know how much I care about Cousin Frankie. You know, <laughs> my mother saying, oh, I've never said the word Frankie before. She's a fucking idiot. Um, but Cousin Frankie, who is the loveliest person you could ever meet. I mean, really, for somebody that is named Frankie, like my mother would say, somebody who is from Brooklyn by way of Staten Island and now New Jersey, uh, you know, and maybe talks the way he talks, to be so polite and sweet and nice is a goddamn miracle that must have something to do with his awesome father, Uncle Frankie, who died on Friday, who I love very much. As a matter of fact, so much so, it's funny, you know, I just saw him at the track on Saturday. I was talking to my, you know, my friend Audrey, who's just a child. And I'm like, oh, Uncle Frankie died. She's like, oh, no. She was like really upset because he was such a lovely guy. And, you know, sometimes when, you know, people like that die, especially for me in in my life, I'm just saying personally, uh, a guy like that, um, you know, I didn't get along with my father very much. So his friendship and the way I felt that he felt about me, I took very serious. And uh, I knew he really did care about me. I know we just, you know, friends in passing and, you know, I haven't known him my whole life, but I felt I did. And that's the that's the whole thing with the whole Messina family that I love and Joe and, you know, and his wife and his family and his and, and his kids and, and, and you know, all, all the his extended family. Yeah, I, I really feel like they're my family, too. And they have certainly taken uh, me, this misfit in and treated me like a member of their family. And so I do feel like my Uncle Frankie died. And I, I mean, it's like, I don't even have to say that. I mean, it's like when I say Cousin Frank, I feel like he actually is my cousin. And there's no reason we wouldn't be. I didn't, you know, I only have two two cousins. I mean, I got my, my one who, you know, owns the New Jersey Devils, and he's not a blood relative. Uh, God, I wish he was. And, uh, and then... I had these two girls that we grew up with, kind of, kind of, you know, like they lived in Queens and we just meet in Brooklyn and we'd see them a couple of times when we grew up, you know, we became a little closer and I liked their father very much. Um, but that's it. That's all we got, you know? And like I said, with my family, I don't even feel close to my family anymore. It's basically just me, my sister, my nieces and nephew, you know, that's it. That's our family. So when you have an extended family like they do, which is half Italian, half Filipino, which is hilarious in itself. Um, you know, it's kind of great having like a big family and stuff like that. We just, we were never like that. My dad made sure we weren't friends with anyone. Uh, he had no friends, so we didn't have any friends or family, which of course is why he was so jealous of the fact that I had such nice friends. Cause I mean, Jesus Christ, is it not running the family? My dad had no friends. My sister had no friends. Dory has no friends. I mean, Jesus Christ, it's sooner or later, somebody in our family was going to have to have a friend. Cause I'm pretty sure my grandmother, my grandmother didn't have any friends either. <laughs> my, on my mother's side, they did. But I mean, I'm telling you, my dad wouldn't let my mother have certain friends. I mean, so sooner, or la- I, I, I guess because I was rebelling, I have friends, but it's kind of funny because you'd think I'd bring over like, so it probably wasn't a rebelling situation because then you'd think I'd bring over the dickiest friends ever. And obviously my dad was very angry because I had the nicest, the most nicest, politest, smart, funny, you know, on so many different level friends, you know, and, and, and when you think about funny as well, I mean, really funny, you know, you know, you could be uh, talking about Eugene Levy and, uh, Waiting for Guffman, where, you know, the joke was, Dr. Alan Pearl is very funny, you know, where he's not funny at all, but he's funny. I mean, there's so many people that you know in your life that are like, no, this guy's really funny. But listen, let's face it, folks. I actually know the funniest people on the planet. I, I, I may know the funniest people on the planet. So for that to be like a real thing, uh, you know, is great. And then, of course, there's just, you know, I know those funny people too that aren't professional who are just funny like my friend Lawrence and Dave Elliott for Christ's sakes at the beach I mean this is an orthodontist and he is definitely one of the funniest people I know and I've been telling him and I don't know why he doesn't do it some of his lines and I I don't know whether he works on it or not but he knows he's, he's almost like a tell in the sense that he 
comes up with a line when it's time. And uh, I said, why don't you write a couple of lines and I'll send them to Jeff. He's roasting Alec Baldwin next week or whenever it is. And I said, let me let me give it to him. What what is he? He's always looking for material. What is what does he care where he gets it from? Dave, I mean, put it together. Some two jokes. I mean, really, Dave Elliott's like one of the funniest people I know. Some of the texts he sends me are laugh out loud funny. And he is an orthodontist. And that's the kind of stuff I'm talking about, right? We got an orthodontist who is actually just as funny as some of the professional people I know. He makes me laugh just as hard as David Tell does or anybody else. I mean, for real. And that's that's what's even more hilarious that I actually know. And my friend Mitch Silverberg, I used to feel the same way about too. Funny in different kinds of ways, but, you know, they didn't pursue it professionally. I'm probably the unfunniest person I know that actually is a stand-up comic. But I am definitely funny offstage. Uh, As a matter of fact, on Friday, and I'll go into Friday in a big way, I was down at the Comedy Cellar, sitting at the comics table, and I was on fire. I was having a good night. I was, you know, just enough drunk, and SD was there, and you know how difficult it is. You got to make her laugh. You got to be polite. You don't want to be drunk. And I was on fire. I don't know if you even know what I was saying, but I was I was working it. And so Sam Morell and Rachel, they both called me the next day. They're like, dude, thank you so much. That took a lot of pressure off of us. It's very difficult to make her laugh. She loves you. And I'm like, really? I'm like, I mean, I know it's difficult, but it's funny that the those guys are saying, thank you. It took a lot of pressure off us. I guess there is a lot of pressure sitting at that table when she's there. It is a thing. You do want to, it's a job. You want to be funny you want to have a reason that you're allowed to sit at the comics table at the goddamn comedy cellar you want to make sure you're on top of your game i mean it's a thing it sounds ridiculous but then again when you think about it i'm like no it doesn't i mean that's your job you're supposed to be funny but she she's judging all the time like i mean just watch crashing watch the episodes with Esty. it's so funny let alone the first episode which is my favorite write some jokes she takes comedy very serious, and she will. She books the club. Now, I got nothing to gain, so it doesn't matter, you know, except I just don't want to be banned from there again. But I got nothing to gain in the sense of spots, so it doesn't affect me. But for everybody else, listen, when she's writing the list of who goes on, <clears throat> I'm sorry, when who, goes on, when who goes on every week, she is definitely thinking, like, well, they weren't that funny at the table last week, so they're not in my mind. And definitely, like, making her laugh on a Friday you would be thinking like, oh my God, he was so funny. I have to give him like five spots this week. I mean, that's definitely the way it works. It, it, whether she's doing it on purpose or not. I mean, she's definitely, you're, you know, you're on her mind if you're making her laugh and that's a thing. I mean, she has people she likes and she has people she doesn't like and she tries to be very, I think she tries to be very fair in uh, who she puts on and who gets the amount of spots. So that's a big job, man. They got, what is it? They got, uh, let's see. They got two shows, the Fat Black, Three shows, The Village Underground, that's five, and maybe four shows out there. That's nine shows in one night. That's just a Friday, and she's got to book the whole week. That's nine shows. I don't even know how many. So what is there, seven comics on a show? Maybe? So what? seven times, what is that, 63 comics, and that's one day. I don't even know how the fuck she does. That's a job I would not care for. And she's been doing this for like 30 years. Sick, that's 63 comics. You got a place in time slots, in order. People keep calling. They cancel. Like, can you bump? Can you move me to another? I mean, nobody wants to cancel. They're afraid to death of her. But, I mean, can you blame them? You want to work at the cellar. You have to strive to work at the cellar. I mean, I tell you this all the time. It's not just because I'm in at the cellar in the sense of, you know, they like me there. But, no, the cellar is the best comedy club right now on the planet and everyone wants to work there uh, in the world. It's a thing. People come from all over. You know, Fred, that guy, Gad, and everybody, he wants to work at the cellar. Everybody wants to work at the cellar. That's the place. Um, and until proven otherwise, you know what I mean? Uh, I like. I think when the cellar wasn't around, like Caroline's was the big place you wanted to play. And uh, before that was the improv. You know, so... You go through periods of time where the place to be is the place to be. And uh, who knows if that'll change? Who knows if another club comes in or they just switch for some reason? But right now, the Comedy Cellar, especially if it's wonderful location right in the heart of the West Village, is the perfect place to play. Um, and you must drive there. But uh, uh, as I was talking about um, 
Oh, wait, wait. How should I? Uh... <laughs> I'm not sure how to set it up. Um, my. <laughs> yeah. All right. I'll go for it. My sister sent me. You know, her nephew is her nephew, her son. She's really trying to be a stage mom and put this kid out there. You know, at this point, we don't even know whether it's his idea that he wants to be in theater. But he's tall and he's, you know, I guess handsome. He's got good hair, but he's tall. And that's like a big deal. And he's straight. So he could get work in musical theater or whatever, you know. And of course he's going to. Of course he's going to. Of course it's going to work out for him because that's going to be the joke on me. That my nephew is going to become much more successful than I ever would or will be. And that's the gag that God has that to, done to me for something I must have done in a past life. Because I don't think I did that much stuff that's bad. I did a lot of bad stuff. But I, I feel like I paid for it for bleeding from the ass. You know, that was a good way to like get to me. Uh, so why does it continue the bad luck, you know? So I must have done something previous if you believe in that kind of stuff because otherwise I can't figure it out. Um, but so my sister put this thing, you know, you're not supposed to, I'm, I'm not supposed to play it probably, but I don't care. It's on YouTube. And um, he's auditioning for this musical theater shop or something in the city. Uh, Hi, my name is Billy Casper. I'm 16 years old and I'll be singing To Kiss a Girl from Run Far Away. From Run Far, I don't know what the song is. He's just standing there with the Oh, I'm no explorer. My vision is not great. I get tired when I run for too long. I still wake up groggy and go to bed late. And I guess it's been true all along. Out of all the world's secrets, both in this world and yours. falsetto note so so here's the thing right so and, and i'll so it, it it's not bad i mean it sounds good but you know the production is hard the sound is horrible because there's all this uh i called my sister and i told her this not to be a dick but i'm just like listen if you're really gonna put this out let me help so we put it out like professionally she's like no we just needed to do this really quick so we could send it out to this guy and so this guy goes i want him i want him of course he wants him because you got to pay him three thousand dollars to take the class of course he wants him but he's basically, I think he's saying, he's like, I want a straight kid in my class. Um, so if it's all full of either gay kids or girls, I mean, this kid's going to get so late. This summer's going to be unbelievable. But I mean, he sounds like good, but I'm like, this is also a horrible song choice because it goes nowhere. You know, they're like waiting for it to pick up. And uh, wait, but he's just singing right into the camera with his arms and his legs. I mean, it's like pretty, that's hard to do. Just look into the camera and sing like that. He sounds like he's got something going on. He's been taking a lot of voice lessons. So he's, I guess, trained in that song. But when he goes up to the falsetto part, I that's where I couldn't stop thinking of uh, the Eugene Levy part from Waiting for Guffman, his, his audition piece. Hi. <laughs> My dream of genie with the light brown hair. Floating like a vapor on the soft summer air. Look out, Camptown Racers sing this song. <laughs> do da, do da. Camptown Racetrack five miles long. Oh, do da day. 
Gwyn'd run all night, Gwyn'd run all day. Bet my money on the bobtail nag, somebody bet on the bay, 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 bay. Way down upon the Swanee River, floating like a vapor on the soft summer and very nice. very very that was very good. very good well thank you dr pearl well thank you very much thank you and we'll let you know very good thank you thank you It's funny, uh, this girl was telling me the other night that on the, I didn't know there was a DVD commentary track for that song, and she told me that the way that worked was that um, Christopher Guest gave everybody their songs and said, you know, here's the songs, come up with what you're going to do. You know, I don't want to see it come up just you know audition for actual an audition like what your character would do and apparently the one everybody did he just left in like they all i mean that's obvious why i hired all those people they're like really good about that so uh, that was eugene levy's take his own take on uh well i think he wrote that script with him anyway but that was his own take on that song and it's just way 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 i i i now this is what it reminds me of now <clears throat> this is what i wanted to do in crashing when i was in the towel and there, if there was a piano on the set, I would have said, is there any way I can open with... <laughs> they never would have let me do it. Three million dollars. I mean, that would have been so awesome. He, the Bugs Bunny's in the shower at Omer Fuzz's house, and he's trying to hit that note. So he turns off the shower, gets in his towel, goes to the piano, and tries to hit the note. Then comes back. <laughs> la, la, just an angel. <laughs> I mean, uh, if. If they would have let me, if they would have let me do that and be on that, I mean, it, it, it's ridiculous. But if I could have done that bit, just ripped it off from Bugs Bunny, because only one of us would have gotten it. You know, I mean, like nobody who's 20 would have been, they would have been like, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. And they would have just thought Pete Holmes was a genius for writing it or Beth Stelling. But uh, I probably would have been in the movies after that, because that would have been the funniest thing anyone's ever seen. La, la, la. Oh, uh, you're living here? La, shh, la, la. <laughs> Go back in. I'm just an angel in disguise. Especially that particular song. <laughs> like something from the fucking 30s. Oh, man. La, la. <laughs> la, 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 <laughs> What's better than Bugs Bunny? I can't think of a goddamn thing. So uh there's that. Uh so far, this is the best show ever. I'm having such a good time doing it for you, bringing it for you. So Rachel Feinstein's husband is, as you know, a captain of the fire department here in New York City. 
and the fire chief exam was on Tuesday of this week. And apparently they only give this test every four years or so. So he's been studying nonstop, so much so that when we went to the firehouse a couple weeks ago and, you know, knocked on the door by surprise, on his computer was the actual, you know, studying for the exam. It wasn't like there was internet porn or YouTube. He was he was studying, and he was studying hard, and he's good at studying, and he likes studying, and he likes taking tests. So Tuesday was the big day after, you know, you know, studying for like a year and a half and for everybody to take it. In fact, on Monday, I went across the street from my house. They have Monday oysters for a dollar. It used to be a dollar oysters, now they're dollar twenty-five from Mondays from five to eight. So I asked my neighbor Michelle to go with me. Hey, will you go with me? I've never been available on Monday night. And now I can have his I'm gonna get thirty dollars worth of oysters. It'll be perfect. I only got 20 because I didn't want to embarrass myself in front of the people at the bar, but totally to it. I could have done 50. I could probably do it in the eating contest. I could probably do 50. So delicious. So I ate 20 oysters. Then I ordered a lobster salad. And then I ordered tuna tartare. I went crazy because I hadn't been there in like two years because it's so expensive. And I was just so happy that I was available on a Monday and it was nice to see some of my friends who worked there, and I was in such a good mood. I'm like, I'm just going to keep eating. I'm just going to keep eating. And it was so delicious. So I was pretty happy about it. Anyway, I was there, and this other guy, I guess I was telling Michelle about being the fire chief, and she goes, and this other guy goes, oh, your friend's taking that exam tomorrow? And I was wearing my fireman T-shirt, like the one I got from Fiori's, who, Mike Fiori, who died in 9-11. I was wearing the shirt, so I think they thought I was a fireman. Or, you know, a retired one, and the guy was talking to me, and I was like, no, no, it's my friend who's taking it. You go, oh, my friend's taking it too. So it was a big deal around the city, right, if you know any firefighters or captains that are going for their chief exam. So Rachel's like, listen, you know, we want to put something together for Pete, you know, when he passes. But it was on the down low, because, you know, just in case he wouldn't pass. Now, he was totally expected to pass. He's smart. He studies. And he's good at testing, test-taking. Well, she calls me on Tuesday night, and she's like, all right, Pete's in the bathroom. Um, Because you get your score. It's right away. He had taken the test, and she's like, "Uh, I don't think we're going to, I don't think we're going to do it on Friday. I'm like, what happened? He failed? She goes, no, 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 he passed. So what's the issue? She's like, eh, he didn't, he got a 72 or three or something like that. And I'm like, so? Well, apparently, the fire chief test, at least here in the city, is like a college football game and you rack up the points it helps your it helps your seating uh so if you do better on the test if you get a 90 you're going to get promoted a little quicker than somebody who got a 74 uh so you, you know you're still going to be a chief but they do base it on the grades so he was even though he passed He was a little distraught at the grades. However, as the day progressed, he was getting texts from all over town, friends, friends of friends, you know, people getting just, you know, a a blog that was going around that everyone was not just doing poorly, but so many people failed. The guys that he thought were totally going to be passing with him, they all failed. They got 60s. They did not make it. Turns out his score was pretty good, and it was now known as one of the toughest fire chief tests of like in New York City history or at least in the last 30 years. He said this has happened before, like in the 80s or the 70s, where everybody, you know, it was the toughest test ever. So it was one of those things. So then, thank God, the mood completely lightened up. And the next day I text him, I'm like, all right, good. Now it's a celebration. Congratulations. I'm so happy for you. You know, it's all it's all good now. But boy, there were a couple hours and he was just so, even though he passed, he was so depressed. But it turns out, you know, I think the highest score was a 74. It was like that tough. Uh, on Friday, I saw him, I asked him what the questions were. He goes, well, there's this thing about the pipes. And I'm like, that's the easiest question in the book. How could you not know that? Because, you know, that's what I do. But so we're thrilled. So tonight, after I'm taping this, I'm doing a show at 5 o'clock. And then we're going out uh, to celebrate him becoming a battalion chief. 
Very exciting. Uh, thank God, because uh, even though you're still going to be a captain, that could have affected their marriage. I mean, their timeline, every, I mean, that could have just, you know, because that did, that could just destroy someone when you know you can't take that. Plus, there was a problem, like his computer glitched. I was so angry. His computer glitched. He had to switch computers. I'm like, I hope they take that into consideration. He, like, contests. He's like, this, I, I, I got to work under these conditions. I can't concentrate. So that was bad, too. But he still was able to pass, even though with all those elements involved. But, yeah, you can't take that test again for another couple of years. I mean, can you imagine what that does to a marriage and stuff. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that, that could destroy one because even though you're you're a good guy, you're a normal guy, it's just hard to get over. You have a plan, you, you've you been studying, and, you know, it's tough. Anyway, there are no problems, so everything's good. And uh, they came by on Friday. It was uh, Joe Mackey's birthday, uh, so we celebrated. But more about that later. On, oh, here's something. Joe Messina had mentioned this. Remember we were talking last week about Rhoda being a horrible grandmother, and it's a fact. I was talking to Attell about this the other day because he couldn't believe it either. I mean, it's, it's, again, we don't know of any other grandparents that they're like, oh, I'm in a show. Yeah, but it's a small part. Tell them how small it is, David. It's very small. It's not that big a deal. Um, you know, that kind of stuff. Joe had mentioned maybe she's down on Dory and Liza and her grandkids because they're half, only half Jewish. And when I've been bringing with up to people, people are like, oh, you know, because my mother hates, she's reverse prejudice, doesn't care for anybody that's not full Jew. And uh, maybe there's something to that. Because how else, how else can you make a case for the way she acts like that? It's very odd. It's interesting. It's something you got to keep in the back of your mind. Maybe that's a thing because, you know, it's like, we need answers. Why would a grandmother be like this? Where is this coming from? So that was a very interesting wrinkle into the mix. Um, never thought about it. Does make a lot of sense. I never heard the name Frankie before. So Tuesday I got so depressed because just all this stuff happened. Um, I found out that the insurance I had, you know, was going to maybe get from the government now that I'm unemployed was really shit insurance, obviously. And I called my old doctor that I used to like, this group, you know, with other physicians that I could go to. Even though I told you my doctor's now on a concierge, you got to go a grand a year to like, you know, just see you. Obviously, I can't do that. Uh, and they, I went through the insurance for this secretary that I've known for years there, a doctor's assistant, whatever you call them. Um, and she was like, yeah, we don't take any of those things. So then I got depressed. Then I got a letter from the unemployment. I said, yeah, we'll see you tomorrow. And I'm like, what? About what? Apparently, you got to take a class, but nobody told me. It was just a reminder, but apparently the 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 thing comes in the mail, so I finally had to... I haven't opened my mail since I got fired. I just... I'm not interested. I, I, it's too, I don't know why. You know, who knows what the reason is, so I was looking for something from the Department of Labor, and there it was. Yeah, you got to come down to the... You got to come down to our offices on Wednesday. You got to be there at 9.30, jerk off. If you still want to keep these benefits going. Plus, I messed up something with my benefits. I hit a wrong button and then the benefits stopped. The whole so I was so depressed Tuesday, I couldn't do anything. I did nothing. Um and then Wednesday things got better. You know, like Wednesday I find, you know, I just took care of some, you know, I went down to that off. Now, first of all, thank God I read the paper. I read the thing. It's like you gotta you gotta bring your resume. Well, my my resume. What do you want? What resume? I've been at one job for 20 years. So I put that down. I put the last job I was at. And then I said, yeah, I was a server at Bennigan's in 1986. I had three things and I just made, I was really short and I couldn't have cared less. I wasn't even planning on making a resume. I'm like, all right, this will be funny. And then you got to, you got to email it to them before the thing. And you got to bring your resume and you got to fill out this form. So thank God I read that the night before I put together you know, really quick, and I bought everything with me because you don't want to fuck around, right? And believe me, I got that right on time. They call me, and it's a class you got to take, and I remember taking this class in the 90s, but everybody was like, no, you do everything online, everything online. Well, apparently, it's people are idiots. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. 
or I just got unlucky and all of a sudden they made me take this class, but I'm pretty sure everybody's got to take it. So I'm at the class. I'm minding my own business. The lady's very nice. She said it's going to be a two-hour class, but I can't talk for that long, so we'll probably be out in an hour. I'm like, hey, you're okay. And she's telling me we've got to fill out all this stuff or whatever, and we got to come back again in six weeks. You know, they got to check up on you. I get it. So two black girls separately come in a half hour late, a half hour late to the class. They did not email their resume. And, you know, they didn't, maybe they bought their resume with me, but they didn't follow the instructions and they came a half hour late to the class. Now, if you're so serious about keeping your benefits, if somebody comes a half hour late, when you're looking for work, when you're saying, hey, we want to help place you at a job, that's our job is to place you so, you know, this your company doesn't have to pay these benefits. How are you not just immediately stopping their benefits? You're a half hour late, dummies. You didn't follow the instructions. You're cut off. That Now, that seems perfectly fair to me, but that's not going to happen. So why the fuck did I even waste my time going there on time? I, 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 I just don't understand. I did everything by the book, and yet my insurance was cut off because I hit one wrong button. I mean, this that drove me insane. A half hour late, not just 10 minutes. But even so, 10 minutes, what the fuck? This is like what Cory Booker used to tell me. Cory Booker, who could, you know, was running for president of the United States. This guy used to be the mayor of Newark, Newark, New Jersey, the worst place on the planet besides that in Patterson. And he used to go around town late at night and uh, talk to people, which was way cool, which is why he'll, he'll probably he'll be an outstanding president if he wins. And he would go by and all the people in town would yell into the car like, Corey, get me a job, get me a job. And he's like, okay, be at my house at 8 a.m. tomorrow and I'll get you a job. And they're like, what? Yeah, be at my house at 8 a.m. tomorrow. Don't be late and I'll get you a job. And they're like, well, that's pretty early. I usually sleep in on Wednesday. I mean, this is, he's like, oh, see, what do you want me to do? You fucking asshole. You're like, you don't want to show up on time for a goddamn, you don't even want a job. You're just screaming for no reason. I mean, he, he, you know, put it to him. It's like, he's trying to help the community. They don't want to work. So if you come a half hour late when all this lady's saying, like, we're going to try and help you God, we have classes, we have seminars, we'll help you with your resume. Coming a half hour late, you should send, you should at least, if you don't want to be rude and take away their benefits because they may need them, of course then at least send them home and say they have to come back at a different day and start over and come on time and follow the instructions on the goddamn sheet. That just doesn't seem very fair. I can understand if you're like, oh my God, I'm sorry, you know, right, you know, right. you know if there's an excuse, but, but a half hour late is not an excuse. Uh, I don't even know what to say. It's, it's, it was so confusing. Anyway, Right after that, I went right across the street and got a manicure, paid extra $5 for a buff, so I have that tremendous shine. That was the right thing to do. You leave the unemployment office, I'm going to do something for myself. I'm going to do something ladylike, and I'm going to go sit there, I'm going to get a manicure. I didn't get the pedicure, I should have gotten it, but I was by myself. So I let it with a pedicure, you like to gossip, so I asked Liz from the cellar if she wanted to go, she wasn't ready. And then I asked um, you know, my new friend Olga if she wanted to go, she didn't get the message till later, which would have been, you know, I just wanted a friend there. But that's the place. It was right across from where I usually get my nails done now over on uh, in the West Village. Lovely place. They did a great job. I'm looking at them right now. They're gorgeous. I mean, they feel good. They look good. The buffing, the extra five bucks, totally worth it. It's an extra five dollars. Why? You think me better, huh? Why do Chinese girls taste different from other guys? You think me better? Oh, I give you the very best duck, darling. I know it sounds incredibly prejudiced and racist, but. It's from a movie, a James Bond movie that I've been watching nonstop. I give you very best duck, darling. Anyway, uh, so my mother tells me, you know, I've been trying to call her like every day. Now they have time. I haven't been able to stop by yet, but I'm going to go Monday. Anyway, I don't know why I told you that. But uh, she tells me that my grandmother on my dad's side used to go to the unemployment office with her mink coat. She's like, I don't give a shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, she was badass cool, right? Because she was like an accounting person in like the 40s. 
And uh, she used to go in the unemployment office with her mink coat. Now, how badass cool is that? Obviously, you couldn't do that today in any way. But she was like, I don't give a shit what the fuck they think. Shut the fuck up, you fucking piece of shit. <laughs> Coming all the way from Brooklyn on the train in her mink coat. Man, that is badass cool. Yeah, that was Mama Ruth. That was the one who moved to Vegas and you know, lived with the cleaning lady. And who knows what happened after that. Yeah, she didn't give a shit. That's fucking cool. I'm glad my mother told me that story. Thank God we got some juicy gossip out of Rhoda finally. That's the stories you want to hear about your grandparents. God damn it. Why do we only hear the bad stuff? Oh, they had a very tough life. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear the mink coat in the unemployment office. That's what I want to hear. So then I went up. I was going up to, you know, for his shrimp parm Wednesdays. Uh, so I stopped at Barcade to play some video games. They're not even open till noon. I'm like, what the hell am I supposed to do now for, for 90 minutes? What am I going to I got my manicure right. I should have gotten the pedicure. I should have gotten the pedicure. I had nothing but time. So then I had the shrimp parm. And then I got, uh, you know, I got a hotel show. I got this hotel show. I got the show. It's at the Doubletree Hotel on night that by the right outside the Port Authority. Oh, a disgusting neighborhood. But the hotel was nice. So Chris Murphy tells me this is going to be a nightmare show. He's, he's, he's telling me this is going to be a nightmare show. And you're. You're going to get down. I know you. You're going to get down after you do it. But don't get down. It's a stupid show. So there's three people there in the audience. Remember, it's a hotel bar. They're all from out of town. And they don't even know it's a comedy show. They're there for dinner or whatever. It's like an airport bar. They turn off the music and then they say, hey, we have a show. And we're really far away. The people are far away. There's three girls and two girls on the side that have no interest in comedy. I always say, I don't mind to go up first. So I go up first. Uh, you know, I got my first couple of jokes. They do okay. Otherwise, I bombed. I started singing. I went out of the audience because it was a wireless mic and just uh, I was singing. High anxiety. It's always the same. Ooh, I mean, these girls were 25. They were looking at me like I was from Mars. And for some reason, don't seem to understand the classics. Anytime. High anxiety Whenever you're near High anxiety It's you that I fear My heart's afraid to fly It's crashed before But then you take my hand my heart starts to soar once more. High anxiety, it's always the same. Anxiety, it's you that I blame. It's very clear to me, I've got to give in. You win. I mean, uh, if you're not going to understand the classics, then what's the point of even going to a comedy show? Am I right, folks? <laughs> anyway, my new friend, Olga, uh, you know, came also to the show and she kind of killed, you know, like, I mean, killed it was three girls. She's 33. They're 28, whatever the hell they were. And they were like loving it. You know, it makes sense. So then I felt like an idiot because she's taking me to Long Island the next day to this new place that I'd like to work out at. And um, and now I feel like an idiot. She was like, you know, like just like we said last week, like, oh, I don't know. But I think she understood it was a bad, you know, it was a bad scene or whatever. And I left, but I wasn't feeling bad about it or anything. And then tomorrow was still on. So we were able to go. We, we, we caught the train. We went to the governors in Long Island where... The owner, James, and his wife love this girl. Love her to the point where it is awkward. Now, I've never been to Governors. All my friends have played Governors, and I've never met the owners before, and they are awesome. I mean, they're awesome. Uh, this guy who owns it was so much fun. I knew I, I had a feeling we might hit it off, you know, and Kerry Caravis was there, who's my friend, so it was great, right? And it was all older people, too, so it was a lot easier for me. And they just had this Thursday night where they have most of all the awful comics you've ever seen in the whole world. But me and Olga got a good spot 
because Carrie was doing the show. So we got more time and, um, and it was fun, but there, there is definitely like a, this couple loves this girl. And I told them on the way home, you know, I wouldn't bring a boyfriend or somebody you're seeing there. Cause not only are the owners going to get jealous, but it's also awkward. They keep pulling you away into rooms. You don't know what's happening. I know there's nothing going on, but you would definitely think that something's going on. I mean, that it's like real. Their relationship with her is like, they just love her, but I think they love her in the best way. They really do think she's going to make it. They're like trying to take her under her wing. Like, you know, this is going to be our prodigy, you know? So that's all it is. You know, it's just, it's just funny how much they care about her, you know? Um, and, uh, but good for me, you know, cause then I'm her friend and they, they like me that way. And, so they, some of the other people, one of the girls was, I don't know if you ever heard of the Long Island Medium or the Long Island Psycho, whatever. She's pretty famous, I think. So her, she wasn't there, but her daughter was there, who's cute as a button, but very heavy, like very much too fat for her age, but really cute as a button. And I think she just got engaged too. Um, and uh, so when I was with Attell on Friday night, he goes, I foresee a cheesecake in your future. <laughs> I I foresee not just a cheesecake but ice cream and cheesecake. Uh it, that was really funny. But anyway, there was another psychic there because apparently Long Island's just full of psychics and she's giving Olga the reading in the green room and uh you know, I'm making fun. She goes, "Are you do you have something going on in Chicago?" And she goes, "No." And I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, she's going to play that club Losers." <laughs> and then they're like, "All right, get out." I'm like, "Oh, we're not making jokes. We're taking this seriously. Okay. They like bought the lady in to give her a professional reading. I mean, these people on Long Island are out of the goddamn voice. And they, they couldn't be nothing but nicer people. You know, it's really funny. And I had a really good time. And then we just hung out drinking all night. I mean, all night. I was pretty drunk when I got on stage, but I, you know, I was trying not to. You know, it's like one of those things. I'm like, all right, I want to drink with these guys, but, uh, you know, I got to take it easy because I got to perform. So, you're trying to keep it together, and then, you know, once it's over, it's cool. And I knew I wasn't driving, so everything was cool. And then, you know, we drank till, like, I don't know, 2 or 3 in the morning. It was really fun. There was, like, a bunch of people. Carrie was there and everything. So then we took, oh, my God, you know who was there? That guy, that kid, Mario Bosco, that I always make fun of. Listen, you piece of shit. I thought I told you to shut the fuck. Hey, just go. It's this guy. How are you getting home? Are you taking a fucking taxi? How Are you going to take the train home? I'm like, oh, fuck. I got to take him home. Uh, I mean, it was fun to see him, but I was like, uh, come on. I'm not, I don't want to take, I don't want to go home with him. I just want to hang out and have a good time. You know, we're going home together. And any Uber that the club provided. Why we got to take this? Come on, you piece of shit. Just fucking take me home. It was so funny. So he hung out all night long, of course, because he needed a ride home. So we took him over. I was so drunk. I didn't even care at that point. He sat in the front and we were in the back and. You know, it was really nice short trip because we were talking the whole time and I don't know, whatever. And and yeah, we got back in the city. We're like, let's get another drink. Right. So we get back in the city and I say, uh, you know, it's like three in the morning. I'm like, we got to go to someplace that's going to stay open late. So we try and go into Marie's crisis because, you know, that's where they do the show tunes and it's right by our house. And I'm like, oh, I haven't been there in years. Let's do that. But it was totally closed. So we went to the fat black pussycat. Because I know they'll lock me in there once it's closed. I can keep drinking. You know, it's beautiful. And uh, but and she says, fine, let's go in there. Now, she says, she told me once before she had a trouble with some of the wait staff there. And I said, well, I don't even know whether they still work there. But the kind of trouble that she was in there, which I didn't know ahead of time, I would have said, no, I can't go in there. You're not going to believe what happened? We went in there, and the first person we see is the waitress that hates her. Because I said, oh, come on, who could hate you? You're adorable. But, wow, they hate her. And I say, you fucked up at this place? The place you want to work? And she goes, I didn't do nothing. Well, this girl came out guns blazing, like, what the fuck are you doing here? I swear to God, it was like a, it was like, I saw this one Louie episode with Parker Posey and uh, 
she came in to the bar early and she's bringing Louie in there. And the bartender was like, no, 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 you can't come in. And then she just goes, Louie, like, hey, you know what? I don't feel like going here. Like, you know, like whatever. It was something like that. Like where she's telling you, like, no, I think it'll be all right. And then all of a sudden, all the things she said were true. This girl's like, no, she assaulted me. She hit me in front of the thing. I'm like, all this stuff she said, it was like, wow, that's for real? So she's getting really upset. And this girl, this waitress, is is being an asshole. It, it, she's going a little overboard. She could be nice, but Olga's trying to, she's trying to settle it. She's like, let me buy you a drink. Let me buy you a drink. Come on, let's have a drink together. She accepts the drink, but she's still not accepting the apology. So she goes to the bathroom. My girl goes to the bathroom. And I talk to the bartender. And I say, is this for real? Do they really not like you? And then she says, the bartender who's completely sober is saying, yeah. And I said, what did she do? She goes, she fucking took off her shoes and put her feet on the table. I'm like, what? Yeah, she did that. And then I think she hit, you know, what's a I'm like, Wait, what? And then when she came back to the bathroom, I said, are you telling me you took your fucking shoes off, you fucking hillbilly freak? I don't give a shit who he's connected to. Tell him to take his fucking feet off the table. What do you think this is, a goddamn sawdust joint? Sir, would you mind taking your feet off the table and put your shoes on, please? Yeah, I would mind. I'm having a bad night. Fucking asshole won't budge. Full security. How are you? Good, how are you? You want to do me a favor? You want to take your feet off the table and put your shoes back on? Fuck you. I want you to exit this guy off the premises, and I want you to exit him off his feet and use his head to open the fucking door. Sir, you're going to have to leave. Mind accompanying us outside? Bullshit, I ain't going anywhere with you. Bullshit, you're out of here. Fuck you! Fuck you! You know who you're fucking with? Huh? Do you? You fucking faggot! Do you know who you're fucking with? Leave me alone! Come on! You're kidding me! Sure enough, an hour later, I get the call. Ace, what happened over there? I mean, did you know that guy you threw out was with me? No, I didn't know that, but you know what he did? Nah. Insulted Billy. Then I walked over to him politely. He tells me to go fuck myself. What? Then he called me a faggot. So what? Hold on. Hey, around. come here. You called my friend a faggot? You told him to go fuck you himself? Know. Is that I what you did? I didn't told him to go fuck himself? You uh, fucking idiot. Uh, you fucking idiot. Uh, come here. Come here. Get him on the plane. Come here. Come here. Come here. You go over there right now. You apologize. You better hope he lets you back in. If you ever get out of line over there, you're going to smash your fucking head so hard, you won't be able to get that cowboy hat on. You hear me? You fucking idiot. Sammy, listen. This guy obviously doesn't know who he was talking to. You understand? He doesn't know that uh, we're dear friends. I mean, he's already very sorry, but uh, if you could do me a favor, let him back in, I swear to you, he'll never get out of line again, I promise you that. He does it again, he's out for good, I don't care what it is, Nick, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll never let him in the place again. I'm sorry about this, really. All right, Ace. Thanks, pal. You took your boots off, you put your feet on the table, you shit-kicking, stinky, horseman, horse-smelling motherfucker, you. You fuck me up over there, I'll stick you in a hole in the fucking desert. You understand? Move in and apologize. Okay, get down. Okay, I'm sorry. So that's what I uh, said to her. You took your shoes off the table, you shit-kicking hillbilly motherfucker. What's the fucking matter with you? I swear to God I said it just like that. Because I, like, I take that as an insult, too. Because now I bought in this girl that made all this trouble... Uh, you know, in the club that I work at. And I'm like, what are you, an idiot? You're a fucking comic. You want to work here. You took your fucking feet. You took your shoes off, put your feet on the fucking table, you hillbilly piece of shit. I couldn't believe it was happening. I, I, I couldn't wait. I was like, I, I, I got to get to the podcast immediately. I couldn't believe the scene from Casino was actually happening. I couldn't believe it. It was great, <laughs> you know, like, a, I mean, how stupid, because she's like, I don't, I don't think I did that. I wanted to hit her with the phone. I needed a, you know, an old-fashioned phone to hit her with. I, I could only use my cell phone, and I cracked it. Hit her over the head, the fucking idiot. Boy, is she dumb. Uh, somebody told me she gets drunk and, uh, you know, gets confused and stuff. I'm like, that. yeah, that'll be good for your career. And you keep working governors your whole life, which is fine. Because you can make a living out of it, but, uh, you know, you want to move on. Be on TV or something, you know? Be on the radio. <laughs> the radio, you know, in the old days. You put your feet on the fucking table. 
I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. I mean, that's amazing, right? I mean, that's the silliest thing I've ever heard. La 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 I I I dream of genie. Hello, my name is Billy Casper and I will be doing Look, I'm hitting all three in a row. It's a callback. Anyway, how about that story, huh? That's insane. That is insane shit. The club you're trying to work at? That's that's what what are you what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing, kid? Eh, whatever. Anyway, on Friday, uh, yeah, I had so much to do after I gotten, you know, I got drunk on Thursday. I mean, I was so wasted Thursday. I didn't get home till seven o'clock in the morning. I think, oh, it was raining, right? I had to take a text. I was so angry. Oh, I think I even peed on the street. It was so bad. I was, oh my God, I was a mess. So then I really had a tough day on Friday. And the fact that I had to go out and do all these activities again, uh, it reminded me of the uh, scene from Goodfellas. So I'm going to do, I'm going to do the cocaine-infused Sunday helicopter scene from Goodfellas, and I'm going to tell you what I did, and uh, you can just picture it from the movie. Now, I knew I had until 8 o'clock until Joe Mackey's birthday party at the Comedy Cellar. The problem was, I promised Audrey I'd meet her and her brother at some point to celebrate his new job. I knew I also had to finally bring Laurier's shirt from the Price is Right Joan Jett concert at the bar I usually go to. And I knew if I didn't see Rachel and Pete at some point, there was going to be trouble. I figured if I left my house around 6 o'clock and just head downtown, this should be giving me enough time to get a gift deliver the shirt, pick up the vape cartridges I needed from the beach for the 4th of July. So I got down to the West Village in time and delivered the t-shirt, but I ran into an old girlfriend at the bar and would have been rude to just run out and leave, so I stayed for a couple of drinks. Fortunately, I'd just gotten a text that the party had been moved to 9 o'clock. I figured this gave me enough time to fix things with Debbie and still had had time to catch my vape daily before he left for Pittsburgh. When I finally got over to the cellar, the bouncer told me I looked like I was getting no sleep, you know? I mean, after hanging out with Olga till all hours the night before, what was I supposed to look like? We celebrated Mackie's birthday with cake and orange soda. Now, normally, orange soda is my favorite, but I don't like having dessert if I'm going to stay up all late, so I decided to add vodka to it. The handyman in my building used to call this a Beetlejuice. It was a pretty good system. But it would definitely get you fucked up quicker than you think, so I had to be careful if I was going to end up sitting at the comics table. Thing is, if you were going to work at the cellar, you had to have a sit-down with the book arrestee and do the best to try and make her laugh and make sure at the very least you didn't annoy her, which was kind of my specialty. When Rachel and Pete arrived, we moved over to the table. Uh, there was me, Rachel and Pete, Sam Morell from the Upper East Side, Colin Quinn, who had just gotten married the week before. Uh, Bobby Kelly, who was Richie Kelly's older brother, who had always made everyone smoke cigars. And Tom Cotter, only a few years ago, had lost to the dog act on America's Got Talent. Oh, and Aruba Ray. Uh, we called him Aruba Ray because he used to run a really horrible room in Aruba back in the 80s. But he was okay. Everything was going all right. The waiter kept bringing me Beetlejuices already mixed up. And I was getting good laughs at the table. The only problem was Audrey kept calling to see what I was doing. Since she wasn't established enough to sit at the comics table, I knew I was going to have to figure out an exit strategy. She texted again and she said she was at the Fat Black Pussycat. Unfortunately, because of the night before, I couldn't meet her there on the off chance someone said I was there the night before with another woman since I told her I was meeting my sister that night across town. Audrey and her brother came in at the exact moment Rachel and Pete decided to go to Fiori's and get some pizza. I figure I go with Rachel and Pete to get pizza. I can rush Audrey and her brother out of the club so there's no incidents in case she was drinking, which she was. 
So everything was going good at the pizza joint, but now David Tell was texting me, asking if I was still at the club. See, a week ago, his mother had fallen down, and I knew he wanted to talk about it. Since I knew I'd have to meet up with him later, I had to figure out a way to somehow ditch Rachel and Pete, spend some time with Audrey and her brother, see my vape dealer, and then get back to the cellar all before 5 a.m. I decided to take Audrey and her brother back to the bar where I gave Lori the shirt. It was, I was in good there because Lori had just broken up with her boyfriend in 10 years and was in a good mood thanks to the shirt. So me, Audrey, and her brother were having a good time, but I kept getting texts from my vape dealer and a tell asking where I was. Now, fortunately, Audrey and her brother had worked all day, so they got sleepy around 3 a.m. This was good. That way I was able to walk them to the subway, say goodnight, and walk back to the comedy cellar in time to see a tell and hang out for last call. But Sherrod Smaller just come with a gaggle of girls who was heading back to the Fat Cat, but I realized I better not go in there again until things smooth over with the wait staff after what happened the night before. When Attell and I finally got to the diner on 14th Street, I was so tired I was only able to have a milkshake. But I knew if I could stay up and out until 7, I could catch the vape guy before he heads to Pittsburgh. Attell kept ordering coffee, so I did too, and we finished up a little after 6. This way, I could head uptown, catch my guy before he left town, and everything will be perfect. By the time I got home, my doorman said it looked like hell, and I told him a helicopter had been following me all day, and he said I was crazy. But you never need free. You can shake, shake up, up. Or I can bring you down. Oh. <laughs> Is that funny? That was Friday. <laughs> I don't know how to follow it. Um... Well, I, obviously, there's only one way to follow it. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. Fun times. Right? Oh, I guess that signals the end of our show for today. I was having such a lovely time. I love bringing this podcast to you on this beautiful Sunday afternoon. This coming out in two days on Tuesday, the 25th, I guess. I think I said the 24th. That was incorrect. And then the next one will be in July. No break. We're just going for it all. Why shouldn't we be? There's no work. There's nothing going on. So we'll bring you the night fly as long as I can with my electricity turned on and see how... Uh, everything is going to happen and how it's all going to play out in the future. Well, that's our show for today. I don't know what we have planned next week, but I know it's going to be good. And that is the most important thing. I want everyone to have a terrific rest of June. The weather is, I mean, hopefully will be perfect from here on out. The temperature is flawless. And when we go into July, remember, it's the summer of Juskow. So we're all connected. It's going to be a great, it's going to be a good summer. It's going to be a good summer. I should have played that clip too. But that's all the clips for today, and that's the show for today, and I'll see you all next week on The Night Fly. Good night, everybody. One way to ride.